Guess it's about time to get started. I know, and, and I know things look a little different, right? When, when Jay's not here and there's nobody sitting in between us, which is kind of exciting. A couple more chairs, if you've, if you've noticed. Yeah, that's, that's, that's pretty wild. And it, 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 it feels good to kind of some of the rhythms to start to come back, right? Feels good to have some of the rhythms. And we, and we need to do it cautiously and wisely, right? But, but to have those things to start to be restored, it, it, it's, it's pretty exciting. Um, and, and I'm Brian Ball. For those of you who are, it doesn't look like a lot of new people, but for those who don't know me, uh, Jay is off teaching at a conference this week. And so we thought about piping Benjamin in, but Benjamin is still writing his senior thesis. And that's due uh, April 13th, and so he, pretty much between that and classes, doesn't really have any time. That thesis is more rigorous than my master's degree was. I've never seen anything quite like that. Uh, So hopefully we'll pipe him in later in the semester. So that kind of left it down to me. And so uh, Jay and I have been, been, been talking, and, and Ephesians 4, we're going to be in Ephesians 4 tonight, beginning of Ephesians 4 if you want to turn over there. Uh, Jay, this, this passage has been kind of rattling around with us uh, all, all semester, kind of in, in the background, of, foreground and background of how we've talked. And hadn't this been a tremendous semester? I don't know if y'all, I mean, Ryan, thank you for being up here. I mean, Elisa Childers, um, you know, Sergey, right, Fadi, Leon. I mean, these are just, it is just amazing to watch how God works through these individuals, right? And, and the cool part is that's how God works through all of us, right? That's how God works through all of us. And hopefully that's what we'll get to, get to and get through tonight. Um, these, these giftings, right? We all are gifted. All of us who are called to Christ are given gifts. And the kingdom desperately needs those gifts to be used so the body can function. And so what, what we'll look at tonight is, is how, how does God call us as a church? How does God call us as a body? Right? And that, that, that's pretty cool. That's pretty cool. Um, and Jay and I, just in case some of you are kind of, I know this is kind of our first kind of formal teaching session. Jay and I teach, we're probably theologically aligned. He is as theologically aligned or we're as theologically aligned as anybody I know. I mean, we are nearly identical theologically, but our teaching methods are very different. Uh, Jay talks about, we're both mu- musicians. Jay says, you know, when Jay gets a piece of music, he sits there and goes back and practices and practices and practices and then comes out and plays it. Yeah, I've been given piano recitals since I was three. So you kind of give me a chord progression and a melody, and yeah, we'll figure it out. And if you watch how we teach, that's kind of how we go. Um, you know, and I've gotten, as you as all that have been here over the years have noticed, I have a handout, which is pretty good for me. It's in an outline that's probably somewhat understandable. So that's, that's, that's a pretty good advancement, a uh, pretty good advancement. So... Um, we're just we're just excited to to take this, and we we thought this was incredibly appropriate given kind of the reopening of things, right? With, with the church kind of reopening, with things to go back to what is the church, right? What are we? What's it founded on, and how how is it described in Scripture? Um, when I looked up the definition of Webster's, the first definition that came was a building for public and especially Christian worship. But, but that's actually a post, what the, all the, all the uh, commentary says, post-apostolic, which means that's not how the word church is used anywhere in a Bible as a building. And the first church I went to when I came, I came to Nashville for college from a small town, and the church that I ended up going to, one of the reasons I went there, one, they had solid biblical teaching, but the sign on the church said, ex-Baptist church meets here. Ex-Baptist church meets here. And the preacher would never call the building the church. He called it the meeting house. 
He said, this is the meeting house of the church. He said, we're the church. If we're in this building or if we're on the corner or if we're at the house or we're at the lake, he said, we're still the church. And so this is a meeting house. And Mr. Reed, you and your team did a brilliant job with this building. And it is a wonderful meeting house, right? But it's not the church, right? Because we're the church. But what a, what a magnificent meeting house the Lord's given us. So what is, what is the church? So I, so I found this. This, was a, this is actually a little outline out of one of the commentaries. I thought this was pretty interesting, kind of the different ways uh, church is used in Scripture. And if you go to Acts 19, it's translated as an assembly, uh, kind of in a normal way, because it's, it's not the, the word um, ecclesia is not strictly a Christian word. It actually means an assembly in Greek. And so what you have to use is the context of the language around the word to know what that means. And so when it's, if you go look in Acts 19, it talks about the assembly. Assemblies, and it's actually not a Christian assembly. It's just assembly of people. But that's that same Greek word, right? It, it also donates the whole body redeemed, right? All of those whom the Father has given to Christ, the invisible Catholic church. And Catholic just means universal, right? This is not Catholicism versus evangelical, the way we think about it. But this is the church universal, the whole big lot of us, right? Um, it can also mean a few Christians associated together in observing the ordinances of the gospel. Um, that's in Romans and Colossians. We have those examples. Um, all of the Christians in a particular city, right? We hear about the church of God in Corinth, right? Or the church in Jerusalem, the church in Ephesus, right? That's the gathering of believers. Um, they generally formed several congregations, most of these cities had several congregations that made up the church per se, which is kind of apt to how we do church, right? We have lots of congregations, but we're, a single con we're kind of a, a single church with multiple congregations. That's kind of cool, right, that that's actually a biblical, biblical meaning to these things. And the other is the whole body of professing Christians throughout the world, right? And that's how, you know, when Jesus said you know, to Peter, oh, I build my church, he meant the whole church proper, right, capital C church was going to be built on that profession. Um, and then Paul uniquely writes of the church as a body. That's the, only Paul writes of it like that, right? He writes of it in Romans 12. We remember 1 Corinthians. Uh, we'll see it here in Ephesians in a little bit. Um, you know, and, it, and, it's, and it's either the, as the body of Christ or as, quote, the body of which Christ is the head. Right, we have several passages in Scripture where that's discussed. And these were fascinating to me. These, these are, these are I, I, I thought this was really interesting. There's a couple of revealing passages that underpin Paul's thoughts. One, one reason he may have done this is the Damascus Road. I thought this was really interesting, right? Paul is persecuting the followers of Christ, the church. And in his encounter with Jesus, Jesus says he's persecuting him. Right? That's pretty fascinating. It says, and so one of the, the Tyndale said, right, it is possible that, lay, that later reflection on this experience led Paul to the conviction that the living Christ was so identified with his community that it could be spoken of as his, quote, body, unquote, that this, the concrete expression of his real presence. Isn't that cool? I mean, to think of us as the concrete expression of the presence of Christ. Right, that's that's where you get into you know, how you know, we are sometimes the only Jesus people will see, right? Is Christ in and through us? Isn't that wild? And that that guy probably gave Paul some of the ideas of this writing. It was also the Hebrew concept of of uh, corporate solidarity, right? There, uh, you know, the the Hebrew people were one. 
right? And in the Jewish context, the individual is so intimately identified with the community that they have no real existence apart from it, just as a part of the human body has no, quote, existence detached from the rest of the body, right? John says, you know, I am the vine. You can do nothing apart from me. You can do nothing apart from me. So there's almost a loss of individual, right? In the body, there's some degree of loss of individuality because we work as a collective, right? We work together to form something. Um, at the same time, the whole of the people are spoken to as a single individual, right? As an intimate connection made between the first Adam and sinful humanity and the second Adam and renewed humanity, as Paul talks about it, right? And so there's this identification of us with a single individual. Isn't that pretty cool? I, I just, I, it was really neat to kind of think about how did Paul come to this analogy of us, right, as a body, of all the things that he could put us together as. And the third thing, Paul expresses this integration in unity analogous to the physical body, right? And that's Romans 12, 1 Corinthians 12, right? The Lord's Supper, right? The cup of blessing that we bless it. It is not a participation, is it not a participation in the blood of Christ? The bread that we break, is it not a participation in the body of Christ? Because there is one bread, we who are many are one body, for we all partake of the one bread, right? 1 Corinthians 10, 16, and 17. We are all one body, right? Paul goes on to argue that since that's the case and we are one body with many members, each having their legitimate and rightful place and purpose. And that's what we're going to see. What's really fascinating about this passage in, in Ephesians 4 is he goes from the unity to the diversity, right? But it's all still, it's all still one. So let's get over to Ephesians. It is really hard not to just read Ephesians 1 through 3 to you. Okay, that's, that's kind of my natural instinct because that sets up the basis. And it's almost any of Paul's writings, right? When I teach Romans, it's like, well, let's start with one and walk forward. And since we don't generally have time to read the whole Bible tonight, uh, it takes 72 hours, that's what Jay said. Yeah, that, y'all probably not sticking with me for that. Um, all right, so let's, let's do the background on, on Ephesians, where it's written from, who it's written to. Um, and this is, this is from our summary, right, when we went through it, right? Who Paul wrote Ephesians, right, from Rome under arrest. So it's one of the prison epistles, we call them, right? Because it's a handful of letters that were written then. It was written about the same time as Philemon and Colossians, probably about AD 60, 61. Uh, for reference, right, the, the, the temple was raised in 70 AD. So this is kind of before that, you know, big moment. Uh, it was written to the church at Ephesus, which is a strategic city that was the commercial center of Asia Minor with a famous harbor, right? Ephesus contained the Temple of Diana and Artemis, one of the seven wonders of the ancient world, making it a religious center as well. And from Acts 19, we remember Paul, right, Paul's ministry was so, so effective, he created a riot among the silversmiths that were selling stuff. That's pretty good preaching, right? When you can create a riot against your preaching, you have preached well. Right? And that's what Rachel and I was doing. You read what Acts 17, you were like, you know, Paul's pretty good at starting riots. Not sure that's something we strive for, but something he certainly did. All right, in an outline, right, the first three chapters um, of Ephesians give us the position of a Christian, and the last three chapters, four through six, give us the practice. And that's what we're going to start in is the practice. But uh, let's, let's at least go through a little bit of, of, the, of the beginning chapters. Because uh, in, you know, in, in chapter 1, it starts with some of right, 3 through 14 is just some of the most beautiful scripture we have. I mean, just the explanation of Christ and, and, and his salvation and the spiritual blessings that we gain from it um, really shows what Christ has done for us, our place in the kingdom, right, and our guaranteed inheritance that, that we have. Um, and then he, he, bursts, and he just bursts into thanksgiving and prayer, right, the end of, end of chapter 1. 
And then chapter two, I, you know, anytime I have the opportunity to read the beginning of chapter two, we will. So we're going to read chapter two, and, or at least the beginning. And you were dead in your trespasses and sins to which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. But God. Right? But God. But God, being rich in mercy, because of the great love with which he has loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive again together with Christ. By grace you have been saved and raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus, so that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace in kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. For by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing. It is the gift of of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Amen? Amen. Right? I mean, that, and that, right, that sets up who we are, right? There's nothing in us, because we often start with Christian, remember how loved you are, right? Remember that you're this precious thing of God, is a lot of the ways of our ministry. When God reminded the Israelites of who they were, where did he start? Remember, you were slaves in Egypt. Right? Remember where you started. And it was my mighty right arm that brought you out. Right? It was God that saved you. And that sets us in a position of humility and gratitude. Right? It was not of our works. It is humility and gratitude. And that is the only thing we have. Right? There's nothing in us worthy to be saved but God in his mercy, came and saved us. And that's critically important when we start thinking about a church. When we start thinking about us as a body of believers is that it's rooted in gratitude and humility. That we are thankful for what the Lord has done in us. That's why we come together. That's why we serve each other. That's why we serve the world. Right? Is, is because we, were, oh, we, we deserve nothing and got everything. And so what are you going to do with it? Isn't that awesome? Isn't that just, just awesome? And I'm, I realize, okay, we're going to skip like three verses. We'll start in verse 14. Um, because this is very relevant to tonight. For he made himself in our, in our peace, who has made us both one and broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility by abolishing the law of the commandments expressed in ordinances that he might create in himself one new man in the place of two, so making peace that, and might reconcile us both to God in one body through the cross, thereby killing hostility." And he who came and preached peace to you, who was far off, and peace to those who were near. For through him we have both access in one spirit to the Father. Then you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and the members of the household of God, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone, in whom the whole structure being joined together grows into a holy temple in the Lord. In him you also are being built together together into a dwelling place for God by spirit. Right? We are the dwelling place of the spirit of God here. And that isn't that just just unbelievable. 
And so then Paul talks about the mystery of right, the mystery of the gospel revealed. And um, I, you know, this prayer, and this is really the prayer I wanted to open with. That's the reason we haven't prayed yet, is let, let this be our prayer for tonight. Right? This, this is Paul's prayer at, at verse 14 in chapter 3. For this reason I bow my knees before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named, that according to the riches of his glory, he may grant you to be strengthened with the power through his Spirit in your inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that you, being rooted and grounded in love, may have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth, and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all we ask or think, according to the power at work within us, to him be the glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations, forever and ever. Amen. And that's what sets up this text. That's the context that we go into this. And, the, and I love the proscopy, right? Is unity in the body of Christ. Unity in the body of Christ. He, Paul says, I therefore, a prisoner for the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called, with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. Right, and what, one of the things I really love is that you know, each follower of Christ has been called and has a, has a calling, right? And Paul exhor- exhorts us to live in a manner worthy of that calling, worthy of Christ. And as we read before, that's not so that you, do, not so that you can maintain your status in the kingdom, right, or maintain your salvation. This is a gift from God and a response to what he's done for us. That's what these gifts are, and we'll see for, in a minute where those gifts come from, Right? And I love that they start, that when, God start, when Paul starts talking about the church, he doesn't start with a structure. He starts with moral qualities. Stop and think about that for a second. The church isn't rooted in a structure. The church is rooted in moral qualities. Right? Everything we do is, is we walk from the gospel out. We walk from the gospel of Jesus Christ out. And that's whether we're a body that's whether we walk into, whether we walk into uh, topics and, and, and conversations in the world, in, in politics and theology and philosophy. We start with the gospel and walk out. We do that with our own lives. Right? We start with spiritual disciplines. We pray, we study scripture, we repent. And from there, we walk out into our day. From there, we walk out into the things God lays before us. But we always start with the gospel. We start with these moral convictions, the foundation, right? It says the foundation is Christ Jesus. And we start with that foundation and walk to wherever we need to go. That's what we do as a body. Before he put anything else in there, he called us to the gospel, right? And what are the qualities he called us to, right? With all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, eager to, eager. That word can kill in me, by the way, folks. Eager. To maintain the unity of the spirit in the bond of peace. Over the last year, is that the dominating characteristic of the church, church capital C? I've seen so many divisions. So many things. It's, it's really bro- that's what's really broken, broken my heart for the church over this past year. Is, is, the, is the things that have divided us. The things that have divided us that, that mean so little in the kingdom. 
And we put so much energy and so much focus. And that's because we don't start at the gospel, right? We start at the topic. We start at the politic, right? We, we, we start at the, at the whatever you want and walk back to the gospel. And it doesn't work that way. We start with the gospel. And we walk out to whatever it is, right? Our foundation is Christ Jesus. That's where we stand. That's what, it's broken my heart to see what we fear, right? And we, we've talked about fear before, right? When I taught, uh, gosh, got me 15 years ago now. Frightening. I'm really not that old. I really am that old. Uh, but 15 years ago, I taught a series with Aaron Bryan. It, it, we had Kairos had a, had a deep teaching on Thursday night called Roots. And we taught a series on fear. And the definition the Lord gave me to fear then was ascribing power and authority to something. Ascribing power or authority to something. Because if you read Isaiah 11, Isaiah 11 says, fear the Lord. And Isaiah 12 says, don't be afraid. So you have to ask, is Scripture contradicting itself? We know it's not. But what he's saying is ascribe all power and authority to the Lord, and the world's got nothing. The world's got nothing. So whom do you fear? God alone. Jesus said, only fear the one that can destroy the body and the soul. Don't worry about these people who can just kill you, right? They can destroy the body. And, and that's done, by the way, and, there's a, and that's a, this is a very, com- we can go into a very complex thing. That's done in obedience to all human authority. Right? That's what the book says. Right? Unless they're asking us to do something that's not scriptural, we obey all human authority. As the book tells us to. Right? But we do that, and that's, we'll get, we'll get to that in just a second. All right, we'll, I'm sorry. Walking ahead. All right, so back, so back on the moral, I'm sorry, the moral teaching, right? So humility, gentleness, bearing with one another in love, and eager to maintain unity in the bond in the, of the spirit and the bond of peace. And, and think about that. If, if those are the characteristics that, that people would look at our church and describe us, think what a difference that makes in our culture. If they look at the church and see humility, gentleness with patience, bearing with one another, Right? Jesus says, they will know your mind by how you love one another. And he was speaking to his disciples. And he said, all people will know. He, said, all people. And he could have said, all people will know by how you love all people. He did not say that. Right? One of the primary questions coming through this pandemic is, who are you taking care of and who's taking care of you? Right? Because that's the church. Who are you taking care of and who's taking care of you? I had a very serious medical condition back in October. It has been stunning to watch the response of the church, the people that around us that have come to our aid to take care of us. It just, it's been stunning. to we just, It's just awesome. And we try to take care of people. That's what we do. We take whoever's beaten and half dead laying in front of us. right? We bandage them up. And I don't have a donkey having a cord. right? But take them to the inn. Right? Take, take care of them. Whoever, whoever's beaten and half dead in our path, and that's the way, Rachel, I've done ministry for 30 years, 25 years, 30 years. I mean, it's nothing extraordinary. It's nothing complex. It's very simple. Right? But it's what God calls us to. And so who are you taking care of and who's taking care of you? And by the way, we need to let people take care of us. Right? That pride, that's, that's just as much a lack of humility Right, it's not taking care of other people, and I get that. Right, I'm, I was raised military family. Right, we do. We are a little unit. We do everything on our own. We're self-sufficient. We can grow our own food. Right, drill our own oil. 
we refine our own gas, we can do whatever you need to, right there in the backyard, right? But that's not true, right? We, we need each other. We're, we're a body. We all have specific purposes and special purposes, and we need each other, right? We need each other. All right. So there is one body and one spirit, just as you were called to one hope that belongs to your call. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and is over all and through all and in all. Right? One body, one spirit, one hope, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father. One. Did you pick that up? One. Repetition means it's important. I think he repeated this seven times. That's important, right? That, that, that if we live out those characteristics that are above, it should always lead to less tension and dissension in our congregations. That's rarely seen today. Rarely seen today. But the Spirit always, always drives to unity in the body. The Holy Spirit drives. When I was in, when I was in our church leadership, I knew when the, where the line was because if it started leading to disunity, that was not the Holy Spirit. And you stop and repent. Right? That's the line when it does not drive to, you, you, to unity in the body. I love that we're unified together, right, the body and in the Trinity, the Spirit, the Lord, and the Father. Did you see that? The Spirit, the Lord, and the Father in there. Right? One Lord, one Spirit, one Father, drawn together in one faith and one baptism. Right? And the baptisms are the new unifying ritual right, that replaced circumcision in the New Testament church. Right? Our hope belongs to our call, that we are holy and set apart for a designated kingdom purpose. Right? We, are, we are called to a designated kingdom purpose. And that's, what, that's what's wild about this next section, right? So, but let's go to 7 through 11. But grace was given to each one of us according to the measure of Christ's gift. Therefore, it says, when he ascended on high, he led a host of captives and he gave gifts to men. In saying he ascended, what does it mean but that he had also descended into the lower regions, the earth? He who descended is the one who was ascended far above all the heavens, that he might fill all things. All right, do you see the change of gears? He was first talking about unity, and now he's saying that, that each of us, right, that the, but grace was given to each one of us. And so while there's unity, there's not uniformity, right? While there's unity, there's not uniformity. Grace was given to each one of us in different measures. Right? We were given a call. And what's, what's really wild, right? Um, well, let me go through the outline. So I wrote the outline. We'll go through there before I get to that. Uh, all right, so note the change in tone, right? From the unity of the body to the diversity of the gifts. Our unity is not uniformity formed in the character listed above, right? The plurality of the gifts glorifies God and edifies both the believer and the body, right? By exercising our gifts, we build each other up and we build the body up as a whole, right? The gifts you have been given and each of us have been given gifts. Those gifts are necessary, desperately needed by the body for us to function in a healthy way, right? Desperately needed by the body to function in a healthy way. I injured my elbow one time, and I'm a piano player. You know how well your wrist works without your elbow? Not very well, right? It's surprisingly dependent. I tried to play the piano. That's real hard without, an el- without our elbow, right? Because it's dependent. There's an interdependence on things. And interdependence within us. Um, 
Right, grace given each one of us according to the measure of grace gift. We are all given gifts for use of the kingdom. No one possesses all the gifts, and we need one another to function properly in the, in the Christian life. I love that verse 8 and 9 talks about these gifts as the spoils of war. A victorious king returns with the spoils and distributes some of, the, some of those to the troops for the benefit of the whole kingdom. Christ does this with the gifts he gives. Right? We're gifted in victory, not to win the war that has already been won, but to build one another up in Christ. Right? The war's won. Right? Jesus, it's done. It is finished. Right? The war has won. These gifts are not given to fight the war. These gifts are given to edify one another in the body. Right? That's a whole different mentality. These, are the, these gifts we've been given are the spoils of Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection. And that's staggering. That's staggering. It's the spoils of war that, that these things are given to us. Um, note Jesus ascended and descended, right? Incarnate with us and returns to a place where his name is above all names, far above the heavens, right? We see that in the beautiful hymn in Philippians, right, too, where his name is above all names. Um, that's, just, that's just awesome. All right, uh, let's see. And he gave, he gave the apostle and he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, and shepherds and teachers. And so he gave these offices within the church. And one of the things I was talking with Fadi about this after, after he taught. We had lunch about a week after he taught, and we were, and we were actually going through this passage. And he said, there's an expectation in the church that one person has all of these gifts. Right? Because what we do is we create this pyramid and put the pastor up here very precipitously, right? balanced on the top of this pyramid and that's nowhere in scripture the church in scripture is led by a plurality of leadership a plurality of leadership because the glory goes to god not to any one man right so there is a plurality of leadership right we have people and apostles right the 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 formal apostles there's several definitions of apostles right but the apostles that he's talking about here are the ones that have seen the risen Christ and were sent out to preach the gospel of Jesus Christ working on behalf of the kingdom building on the foundation of Christ now there are still apostolic gifts within the church now they're not apostles the way that the way right the disciples and Paul were apostles but there are apostolic gifts within the church Right? There are prophetic gifts. We don't have anybody that speaks like Isaiah and Jeremiah in Scripture. But there are prophetic giftings within the church. Right? Every, every spiritual gifts test I ever take says I have wisdom, teaching, knowledge, dis- prophecy, and discernment are my spiritual gifts. That does not mean I speak like Isaiah, praise be to God, I would not want that responsibility. Right? But what he gives is insight, gives understanding, gives a way of seeing things that edifies the body. Right? Because what's that gift here for? It's to build the body up, to build each other up. Right? There's also the gift of, of evangelism. Right? Evangelists, some of today's missionaries, were traveling ministers who went to proclaim the word to non-Christian people, often starting churches in particular areas. Right? There are people, and we're all called to, to evangelize, but there are specific evangelists, and we met them. People like Fadi and Sergey, right? I mean, those people have the gift of evangelism. Now, you spend about three seconds with them, you'll figure that out pretty quick. And there's a special anointing on them in what they do and what the Lord's called them to do. And it's beautiful, absolutely beautiful, right? But that's done to edify the body. I, I hope when you walked away from, from Sergey talking, from Fadi talking, you were built up and encouraged, right, by what's happening in the nations and what's happening in the nations within 10 miles of here, 
right? How, how encouraging is that? How incredible is that, right? And then, and then he gave us pastors and teachers, and those are probably the same role, um, that when they serve the local church and tend the flock, right, administering, counseling, guiding, teaching, that's classically what we think of as a pastor, classically what we think of, but we often impose these other roles on them, Right? And we've seen preachers that, are, that are, have apostolic gifts and are nowhere near a shepherd, right? And it's disastrous in the congregations they lead, right? And we see people who are shepherds who don't have the apostolic gift. And if they don't have a plurality of leadership, it's, it's disastrous to the congregations. And so you need this plurality of leadership, right? And so grounded on, remember we talked about those, there's a moral grounding and then these offices on, on, right, within the church on that moral grounding. That's what, that's what we build. That's how the church functions. Does that make sense? Does it, does it, does it kind of clarify some of the ways maybe in classic Baptistdom, right? Letting the deacons run the church, right? Uh, Paul Taylor, dear friend of mine, he sat behind me for about 10 years and slapped me on the back of the head with a hardcover Bible. I, have, I, have, I think I have a nice flat spot where he smacked me. And I love, I love Mr. Taylor. He is, he is wonderful. He is a, the world, from what I can tell, the world's leading authority on deacons. He goes around Baptist churches and talks to them, and he talks to them out of the Bible about what a deacon is. And that comes generally as a shock to most Baptist churches. When generally, after he's done, the chairman of the deacons or one of the heads will come over and go, I think you're telling me that we're not doing deacons correctly. He said, all I'm doing is telling you what Scripture says. That's between you and Jesus. Right? Because what we do is we define what we, our roles, we define these things by what God tells us they are. Not by our traditions. Right? Jesus says, be really careful what traditions you carry forward. Right? That'll dork you up, dork the Pharisees up. Right? Dorks us up sometimes. When we carry, when we carry traditions over God's word. Right? And I, and I love your grandmom, I love my grandmom. There's stuff she told me that's not in that Bible. Amen? And I love my grandma, She's a wonderful lady, Sunday school teacher, right? But there's stuff she told me that wasn't in that book. And so when it comes to the book or grandma, I love grandma. I'm going to go with the book, right? We have to be very careful about that. Very, very careful about that. Does that make sense? Good. All right. Okay. And uh, let's see, so they gave the apostles to write to equip the saints for the work of the ministry, for the building up of the body of Christ, until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, to mature manhood, to ma the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, so that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness and deceitful schemes. Rather, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in in every way into him who is the head, into Christ, from whom the whole body, joined and held together by every joint which is, with which it is equipped, when each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. So, right, so why do we have the gifts? To equip the saints for the work of ministry. Right? We build one another up for the work of, in our calling, encouraging and correcting with the tools of the kingdom, right? to edify the body of Christ. And not only are we building each other up individually, but we build the church collectively. And as we strengthen one, we strengthen all. 
right? And, and that's critical. That's what this disciples making disciples is so important, right? Is by building each other up, we build up the body. The body becomes stronger. Isn't that, isn't that staggering? Isn't that staggering? One of the other things that, you know, we, that you know, the Lord has called you, is, those of us who are saved, right, the Lord has called us to something. Right, the Lord has called us something. One of the things, the other things that bothered me over the over the the pandemic has bothered me into this is people go, "Well, I can't do my calling now." There's a pandemic. Uh, you know, my comment was, "Then I don't think you understand what your calling is, because you know the pandemic does not stop the power of God, right? And your calling is exhibited in the power of God. It may change, right, Miss Reed? When you had to deal, you visit the the senior homes. It may change what it looks like." Right, but it it didn't affect your calling. It didn't slow you down, minister those people. Right, had to be a different way, but that didn't slow you down, right? Because that's your calling, right? What the Lord has called you to, He will He will equip you, and He will make a way. Now we need to be attentive to the Spirit. We need to be attentive to where the Lord's leading. We need to be attentive to our circumstances. It may not look the way you thought it would look. We can testify to that about 5,000 times. That, you know, this is what we expected the ministry to be, and wow, that's what we're going to do. That doesn't seem like a good idea. But it was, you know, it was the Lord's blessing, the Lord's anointing, and he is who guides us in our calling, right, to equip and build up the body. Right? And there's nothing that's going to stand in the way of that. Right? Nothing is going to stand in the way of that. So what are the signposts for maturity, right? Unity in the faith of the knowledge of the Son of God, right? Proper instruction in the Word will lead to unity in the knowledge of Christ, not about Him, but knowing Him, right? That's what we hope we walk away from here with. I don't want you to know more about Jesus. I want you to know Jesus better, right? That's what what I need you to walk away from this. I, I really could care less whether you think I taught well tonight. What I care about is whether you think Jesus is greater because of what we looked at and how he works through each of us and how he works through the body, right? That's what gets you fired up, right? It's how God works, how Jesus works, how, the, how this works in us, how this works through us. That's, that's what's spectacular, right? To mature manhood, to the measure, the stature of the fullness of Christ. I love that fullness, right? That we grow out to this fullness of Christ. And we're not going to get there till we're glorified and go see him, Right? We're not going to get there, but we continue to grow into the fullness of Christ. That's why, that's why I pray every time, right? Lord, change us. Don't let us walk out of here the same way we came in, right? We encounter you. We encounter your truth. We should be different people, right? We should be more Christ-like. There should be conviction in us. There should be hope in us, right? There should, there should be an, a better understanding, a better clarity in us of who Jesus is and how Jesus works, Right? Mm, that's good stuff. All right. We are no longer children in the faith, tossed to and fro by the waves and swayed by persuasive words. Right? We become stable in our faith, able to withstand the attacks and the persuasive tales of philosophy and theology that do not align with Scripture. That was one thing. Ben, when Benjamin was listening to uh, Elisa when she was here, uh, he said when, when Elisa said, I'd been in church all my life, right? she, was, she was all in. She was not one of these forced external compliance people, right? She was all in to Jesus. And when she in her 20s came to a pastor that told her false things, the church had not equipped her to answer those questions. Benjamin said he paused the, paused the uh, podcast and sat there dumbfounded. How can somebody go 15 years under teaching in the church and not have the ability to answer those questions? 
right? Right. That that how, how can that happen? Right? And that's on us. Right? Me me as a teacher, a lot of y'all are teachers and leaders, right? That's on that's on us. How can somebody write? And so one of the things, one of the hopes we have with Coffee House is that we're equipping you that when you hear something false, you know where to go in Scripture to, go, to, to validate what they're saying and how they're saying it. Right? That you're equipped that when people come and make these accusations, that you're equipped when people come and give these right, tantalizing philosophies, right, persuasive words, right, tossed to and fro by, by these waves. When these cultural waves come, you stand. You stand. Because you know what Christ is. You know where he is. He is your cornerstone. Right? And that's, that's a lot of the reasons. That's a lot of the things Stan puts into our, to our church, the way we're structured. Right? Is, is so that that doesn't happen. So that we are rooted and grounded. Right? As chapter 3 said. Rooted and grounded in Christ. Rooted and grounded. Uh, that, was just, that, was, that was just so shocking to me. Again, just heart, and it, not anger, but heartbreak, right? Just heartbreak. Um, so what do we do? So what do we do? And I, I love that Paul tied it up this neatly for us. We speak the truth in love, and I love this Stott quote. Rachel stole this from me when we were talking through it on Monday night, posted on social media. It said, truth becomes hard if not softened by love, and love becomes soft if not strengthened by truth. Right? And we know people on either side. I've been people on either side of that. I mostly have been on the truth side, bashing people in the head, lovelessly. I know that's a shock to you guys that have sat under the teaching for a while. Right? One, of our, one of our other trustees called me a theological strong safety. She said, I'm not sure I always agree with you, but I'm kind of glad you're lurking around back there somewhere. Right? But with the truth without love is just brutal. Right? And love without truth will get you lost because it's sentimentalism. And actually, truth without love gets you equally lost. We just don't see it that way sometimes, right? Right? Either of them are off the rails. And we speak the truth in love. And sometimes love, sometimes love is not soft, right? When Jesus told the Pharisees, you brood of vipers, right? Which is as big an insult as you could make to a Pharisee. How do you keep people, how do you keep from people turning, turning people into twice the sons of hell you are yourselves? That was not gentle Jesus with, right, feathered hair and contacts and a VW bug, right? That's, that's, that's not that Jesus, right? Now, was Jesus gentle? Yeah, what's really wild, right, is that Jesus was gentle with unbelievers, right, and harsh on the false, God, false people that act in the name of God in their own self-interest, right? That's who Jesus was hard on. Right? And Jesus was hard on them. He went in there and flipped their tables. Right? Jesus was hard on them. But you look at the woman at the well, and while, he, and while he told truth, could there have been any more gentle moment that her soul needed? What she needed was a drink, right? Of eternal water. And that's what he gave her. Could there be anything more gentle? Right? Truth and love. Grow up in every way in Christ-likeness. And one of the things I've noticed in the fruit of the spirits, we like to pick our fruit, right? And you notice it's fruit singular, start off with, right? It's not fruits, right? It's not like a thing at Kroger where you pick up a banana and an orange, right? It's the fruit of the spirit. They, they, they work in unity, right? Now, I, you know, now the Lord, there are, uh, we all have our propensities. I don't, as we kind of talked a little earlier, I don't have a propensity toward gentleness, 
Okay, but the last 10 years, my wife can testify, I have become a much more gentle human being by, by the work of the Spirit of God in my life, right? By the work of the Spirit, it's, and it's nothing of me, it's all of God. You know, I still have the same nature to me. I come from SEALs and Marines and Rangers, test pilots, okay? It's a kind of rough bunch. You know, gentleness is, is not there, not there for, for uh, kind of strengths. But the Lord has worked on me in gentleness, right? The, world, the Lord, right, and that's what we see is we're producing fruit. And by the way, a, a, an apple tree doesn't eat apples. You notice that? Right? You produce fruit for other people. So the fruit of the Spirit, again, is for the community. Right? Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, gentleness, goodness, faithfulness, self-control. You can't do that by yourself. Right? You can't do that by yourself. That's to build up the community. That's to grow up in every way. Right? Are those fruits of the Spirit? Are you seeing the fruit of the Spirit coming in more and more abundance out of your life? Right? Do you know what it is? I told my kids, if you don't know what it is, I guarantee it's not going to come out. Well, the first things I had to memorize were the fruit of the Spirit. This is what your life should exhibit. So when you get up in the morning and you go, Am I, did I have a good day yesterday? Pull out that list and compare it to what Jesus was expecting to come out of you. Do you see that coming out more and more? Right? And that's for those of us who believe. Right? Do you see that coming out? That, that's, what, that's what we do. Right? We're held together as a body, eagerly. Let me go back to my word that bugs me. Eagerly seeking unity, right? Eager to maintain the unity of the spirit of the bond of peace. Eagerly. What are you eager for? What are you eager for? Unity in the bond of peace? What are you eager for in church? Unity in the bond of peace? Right. We're eager for a lot of things. Is that what we're eager for? Building up the body in love, edifying. That's one of the words that culture hadn't stolen from us yet. Right? I'm sure they'll get around to it at some point. Right? But edify. Right, that, that's still with us, to build up. Right? Is, is what you do building up? That's one of the things we worked on with our parenting. We made sure whatever we did edified our children. Edified our children because they need to be built up. That's not flattery, by the way. Correction is a form of edifying, right? Because you're cutting off, you're pruning things that don't need to be there. But we always look to build up our children. Edify. That's what we do in our teaching. When we talk about our teaching, we try and edify. In our, when we counsel people, we counsel lots of couples through marriage. And we look to build up, edify. And we tell them, you've got to work on edifying each other every day. Right? That's what you do as a couple. You build each other up. You edify in Christ. I think that's, a, I think that's my end. I'm not very slick at these things. All right, now we're going to see how confused I can get with Slido. All right, nobody's asked a question. We have Slido. Y'all have y'all got any questions? Um, but I really have been. Have y'all been encouraged by this series by bringing these people in, talking to them? Yeah, that's been very very encouraging. I hope I haven't looked too dumbfounded most weeks because um, I'm about I'm in it as all of these things about as much as y'all are because you're just kind of stunned. I mean, 
I think archaeology is unbelievably cool. I would never do it. I think my house over in Franklin is kind of the edge of civilization, so I don't camp or any of those things, much less go out in the desert and dig for a few years. You know, but I think it's staggering what, those, what, what he does, right? I mean, that's just unbelievable. What Foddy does with the nations. If you, go, if you go over here to Nolansville Road and Harding Place, every human being up there, I think, knows who Foddy is. Every one of them. We ate, we ate lunch over there, and I think everybody knows Foddy. It was staggering. And of, of every ethnicity. I mean, you know, that's a, that's a melting pot. Of a, I sat in a restaurant over there and heard nine different distinct languages spoken during lunch. Nine distinct languages. And that's right here in, that's right here in Nashville, right here in Tennessee. Um, and we, we've got, I think we've got, what, Every Girl Counts coming up. Uh, Joe Malone, who teaches uh, human sexuality and marriage over at MTSU. Uh, Benjamin. Uh, I think Welcome Home Ministries is coming in, in one of these weeks. Um, so just some, just some incredible stuff to hear how the kingdom of God's working, what, what God's doing through us, and through people that sit next to us in the pews. Isn't that staggering? I mean, you just gotta, you're like, wow, I see him on, on Sunday morning. Pretty cool stuff. Pretty cool stuff. We good? I good? This makes sense? Some kind of sense? Fantastic. Right, let's pray and get out of here. Father God, we're thankful. Thankful for your grace. Thankful for your son that saves us. Man, we're thankful for your word, Father. Uh, that we have a place to stand. That we have a firm foundation in Christ Jesus. Uh, that we know our feet are secure. And so that whatever comes, Father, we can stand. And Father, we're thankful for your church. We're thankful for the, for the moral underpinnings, right? That it starts with, with the gospel of Jesus Christ. And that's the root of everything in us individually and in us collectively, Father. And from there we walk out to, to whatever the philosophy or theology or situation, but we always start at the gospel, the gospel of Christ Jesus, Father. And we're so thankful for that. We're thankful for, for the Easter celebration. How magnificent was that, Father? Both at, all, at this campus, all of our campuses, Father, a wonderful celebration of your resurrection. We pray for, for mighty kingdom fruit out of that, Father, a hundredfold. We pray for, for professions of faith, Father, in your, in your strength, and your spirit, Father. And we, and we pray that those of us who believe walked away more sure, um, but with a better grasp, better understanding, more secure in our understanding of our faith and our salvation, Father. And, and what joy and what humility and what, what thanksgiving should be pouring from us uh, uh, for, for all that you have done. Uh, bless us with this teaching of your word tonight, Father. We make an offering to you. Uh, do with it as you will, Father. Don't, don't let us walk out of here the same people that came in. Uh, change us because of our encounter with the truth and with your word and with your presence. And uh, let us go forth and, and, and bless the wor world, Father, loving one another, right? Taking care of each other, right? And, and showing your love to a lost and dying world. It's in the precious name of Christ Jesus that we pray. Amen. Thank you all.